0: Good morning church. This morning we will be reading from the English Standard Version and if we can all turn to Luke chapter 23 verse 50 and we'll be reading up to Luke chapter 24 verse 12. Before we read um, these verses, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we are gathered today to um, digest your word And help us to um, be blessed by your word with new revelations, Lord. Um, And we thank you that um, you have given us your word today. Um, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The woman who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb they, all, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene. And Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marvelling at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord.
1: A very good morning and a very happy Easter to you all. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. Now, some people are looking at me thinking, that's a bit over the top for Mark. That's as exuberant as I will get. So believe me, that is me being excited. This morning, Jesus Christ is risen and we're going to hear about his resurrection now. And we're going to hear about the truth, the literal truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My first question though, just as we start this morning, what do we believe about the resurrection? What do we actually, um, what do we believe about it if we were asked by non-Christians, secularists, atheists, What about this resurrection? What about this Easter? What would we say? Easter is all about the death of Christ, isn't it? The atonement. And Pastor Joseph spoke so wonderfully about that on Friday from the earlier part of this passage, talking about the death of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ on the cross where he says, it is finished. So is that the end of the story? Is, Is the resurrection just a nice addendum to the story? Is it just a happy ending? I want to put forward a case this morning. And there, I mean, let's be honest, we could do weeks on the resurrection. I have 30 minutes and I am watching the time. So we're gonna try our best in 30 minutes to put a case forward that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has in of itself theological and spiritual significance for us as Christians. That you can't just dismiss the resurrection. Without exploring what it signifies. So. A question or a statement was put to someone. Early 1980s in England. And it was. It isn't essential for a Christian to believe in the empty tomb of Jesus. The reply which was this. Well, that is absolutely right. Because even if you did, no single historical fact can be certain. And secondly, no single historical fact can prove anything. Who said that? Surely it was a Richard Dawkins or a or a Christopher Hitchens or someone cynical about the Christian faith. There was a follow-up question. Well, hang on a second. Isn't the inclusion of the virgin birth and the empty tomb in the New Testament evidence of certainty? Who said that? The Right Right Reverend David Jenkins, in the 1980s, a very high-profile Anglican. He had uh, been recently commissioned to be the Bishop of Durham. The Bishop of Durham is in the top five bishops in the Church of England. And his reply to the follow-up question was, you know, when it said, well, hang on a sec, it's in the New Testament. Is that not evidence of certainty? Listen to his reply from a clergyman and a very high-ranking one at that. Certainly not. There There is absolutely no certainty in the New Testament about anything of importance. And we wonder why the church since the 70s and the 80s has descended into confusion and liberalism. Some of you may have heard of Bishop John Spong, another high-ranking Anglican. Um, If the resurrection of Jesus cannot be believed except by assenting to the fantastic descriptions included in the Gospels, then Christianity is doomed. For that view of resurrection is not believable. This is from an Anglican bishop. And if that is all there is, then Christianity, which depends upon the truth and authenticity of Jesus' resurrection, also is not believable. This morning we're going to look at uh, evidence from the text, from the Bible, presupposing that as Christians we accept the authority of the Bible. We are evangelicals. The term evangelical means the authority of the Bible. The word is fundamental to our belief. And we're going to look at why the Bible tells us that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are historical facts. It is literal. And it is fundamentally important to the gospel for us to defend the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you aren't Christian here this morning, it would be great for you to listen and to hear some evidence from the Bible about why why we believe in not just the death of Jesus Christ, but why we believe in his resurrection. To deny the glorious truth of the resurrection is to deny the authority of Scripture deny the authority and the truth of Christ. It is to change the gospel and ultimately it will undermine our faith. Let's look at the text. And thank you, Louisa, for reading that for us this morning. Um, Jesus was dead. The resurrection is based on the fundamental presupposition that Jesus was actually dead. Um, The Joseph Joseph of Arathemaia Uh, He was a member of the council. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. And this is just by means of this this, uh, setting up the resurrection. He was a member of the council. Um, He would have no motivation to go to Pilate and ask for Jesus' body. Of course, the Sanhedrin had already pushed uh, Pilate into crucifying Jesus when Pilate was wondering, why, why do you want to do this? So the council were troublemakers in the eyes of Pilate. And and Joseph, um, for reasons we don't know, he believed that Jesus was dead. Maybe Joseph had witnessed that scene where Jesus was on the cross and the centurions had put the spear into Jesus. Maybe he'd seen that. Maybe he'd, he'd witnessed it. But what we do know is that Joseph would have had no reason to go to Pilate um, to, uh, in any way, uh, cause more trouble. There was no vested interest. The Gospel of Mark, and just by, as an aside, the the four Gospels all have differing focuses on the resurrection, the burial and resurrection narrative. That's completely understandable. Um, We should not be lost in the idea that because The Gospel of Mark says things that Luke doesn't and John doesn't. That somehow these are different accounts. No, they are all consistent. And there is a lot of evidence that they do not contradict each other. But the Gospel of Mark, Mark 15 verse 43 says that Joseph courageously went to Pilate. So this wasn't Joseph part of some sort of scam. He really believed that Jesus was dead. Pilate also really believed Jesus was dead. Why? Because Mark chapter fifteen forty four, which is the uh, the Mark's account of this particular period, um, he had it confirmed. It was a surprise to him that Joseph would go and say, "Can I have the body of Jesus?" And he he checked, he checked with the centurions. Is is, is Jesus really dead? So Pilate believed Jesus was dead. By the way, all of these different things, which we don't have time to go into this morning, are fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, prophecies about the Messiah. The Bible is truthful, factual, and authoritative. And we do well to read it in that, with that in mind. These are literal facts. We also know that Joseph was a rich man. Matthew's account, Matthew 27, verse 57, says Jesus was buried in Joseph's own tomb. Joseph had money. We know that because um, that is made clear in Matthew 27 as well. And this is just as an aside, but a really important fact. So we know that this. Bible we are talking about this morning, we are hearing from, is authoritative. The prophet Isaiah prophesied that. Why was it important, just ag- again as an aside, why why Jesus should be buried in a tomb? Because the normal way of disposing of crucifixion bodies in, in the Roman era was to put them in mass graves and then to eventually burn them. You see, without the prof- specific prophecies About the Messiah coming to pass. There would have been controversy about whether Jesus rose again. God had all of this in mind. Right the way back, this was a plan prepared before the foundation of the world. This is our God. No detail left unaccounted for. Now that we've established that Jesus was dead, and there is a lot more we could do around that, very, very quickly, why why is it that we need to be very clear about the literal death of Jesus Christ? Jesus wasn't in some sort of coma. He wasn't drugged. It wasn't the wine vinegar that gave him some, you know, I I don't know if any of you watched 24, the series 24. You know that bit where Jack Bauer gets injected with stuff and he dies for a period of time so they can pretend he's dead and move his body. Then he can escape to Mexico. Some of you are looking at me as if I haven't got a clue. It's a good series, but um, anyway, that's my plug. Um, But it's really important, it's really, really important that we understand that this, this resurrection, which comes after the burial, is part of a singular category. What I mean by that is, is is clear here from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. I'm going to very quickly show why the Bible interprets the Bible. So I would remind you, brothers, this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. By the way, the church in Corinth was a church of confusion, of bad doctrine. He's reminding them there in verse two, the word by which you are being saved, if you hold fast, I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, it is the gospel death, literal death, literal burial, and literal resurrection there, talked about in verse 3, are fundamental gospel essentials. We can agree to disagree on baptism, and I'm not looking at anyone in particular. We can agree to disagree on charismatic gifts. We can agree to disagree on lots of doctrinal things, but remember what Pastor Joseph talked about a few weeks ago from Acts. Essential doctrine is fundamental. It is fundamental to our Christian faith. It is what defines us as Christians. And Paul is very clear here. For I deliver to you as of first importance, prior priority, that Christ died for our sins. We heard about that on Good Friday. That he was buried. You've just heard that now. And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. There's no categorical shift there the death was literal the burial was literal but the resurrection was some spiritual experience no no it's the same category it's grouped together for really good reason so what we need to understand is why should we take the resurrection seriously the physical and literal resurrection of christ shows as we've heard from our scriptures already read christ's victory Over death. You see going right the way back to Genesis. Death was the judgment for sin. And of course we hear from scripture. It is appointed for man once to die. And then judgment. Death comes to us all. And death came into the world. Because of sin. So Christ. On the cross. Showed his victory. Over death. He showed his righteousness. As uh, C.S. Lewis so beautifully puts in The line, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia, death cannot hold a righteous man who has died on behalf of the sins of others. Death has no power. As the hymn says, death has lost its sting. Death cannot hold Jesus Christ. You see, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, he would have remained dead. He would have remained dead. And therefore, how could we as Christians believe in the future resurrection of our bodies? The future glorification, where it so wonderfully talks about in the book of the Revelation, how we will be raised with Christ and we will live for eternity with Christ. You see, Christ's resurrection is fundamental because it showed his power over death and that. We, if we are in Christ, if we believe in Christ, if we ask Christ for, you know, if we repent and ask for forgiveness for our sins, Jesus Christ is all-powerful to both atone for our sin, to pay for our sin, the death of Christ, and also to rise again, thus bringing us into his new eternal kingdom. The resurrection is fundamental to the Christian faith. If the resurrection is not true, and we'll maybe talk about this some other time, but Paul's letter to the Corinthians chapter 15 goes on to say, if the resurrection, literal resurrection, is not true, verse 14, our preaching is in vain. Chapter, uh, verse 14, our faith is in vain. Verse 15, the apostles are liars. And probably really hard-hitting If Jesus Christ did not rise again, literally, we're still in our sins. And that's 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 17. So what does it say about the resurrection? Let's have a look at the rest of Luke's account now. But on the first day of the week at early dawn there, they being the women who were at the back end of Luke chapter twenty three they had been there, and they had observed um the the uh the, the body jesus' body, literal body, his real body, he was dead, being you know put in the tomb placed in the tomb. They went back to the tomb at early dawn. This would have been very, very early on the Sunday morning. The Greek there implies almost the very first thing. Remember the Jewish Sabbath? And it's interesting that because of the resurrection, this, our Sabbath, our holy day, is now a Sunday. That's how in fundamental it is to the Christian faith. But in those days, the Jewish Sabbath was a Saturday. It went from sunset on a Friday to sunset on the Saturday. So as a matter of priority, I'm assuming because there was no streetlights or torches or anything like that, they waited until the very first light on the Sunday morning To go to the tomb. That was their commitment. We can learn a lot. About faith. From the commitment of those who were close to Jesus. To him. He went to the tomb. Um, They found the stone that was rolled away. Remember Matthew's account. That stone had been put there for a reason. You see and all of this works together. The resurrection was real. This wasn't a fabricated story. We know that because the Pharisees had already preempted that there was going to be, in their minds, some sort of scam involved here. They'd already seen the potential way this was going to play out. Look how they refer to Jesus, that imposter. That imposter. Their hearts were so hardened to the message of Jesus Christ. They called him an imposter. While he was still alive. So you see, even the Pharisees conceded that Jesus was dead. After three days, I will rise. And they preempted. So they put a huge stone. They arranged for Pilate to put a guard there, or guards, and put a huge stone in front of the tomb. This wasn't like some, like, you know, bollard or like no entry sign that we as kids all used to wear on our heads or run around and do stuff with. This was a, a huge stone. This would have taken a lot of physical effort to do, to put in place. See there, the soldiers, make it as secure as you can. Do not, under any circumstances, allow any contention to arise about Jesus rising from the dead. And we move on to verse 4. The angels appeared. We know they're angels because uh, later on in this chapter, verse 23, confirms that these two men were angels. Two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. The the appearance of angels in the the Bible is really significant because they usually turn up when something massively significant is going on. The birth of Christ, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. We could go back through the Old Testament and and, we we see the angels massively uh, around in, in the book of Revelation. Whenever God does something significant, often it's accompanied by some sort of angelic proclamation. Really, really important. Every detail in this account points to Jesus' rose again. And then look what they say to um, to the women. The women were frightened, bowed to the ground. And they say, why do you seek the living among the dead? I, I mean, this, this place where they were was the place where people were buried. There's nothing spiritual about them saying among the dead. They're talking in the context of this being a t- place where there's tombs. Why are you seeking the living? See the notice the contrast between the living and the dead. The dead is literal dead, so the living is literal living. Jesus rose from the dead. Literally. Then look what it goes on to say. Remember how he told you. And again, imagine the women. The women are frightened, they're emotional. they're they're, they're at their wit's end. What has happened? What's going on here? Where is the body of the Lord? The angels point them back to Jesus' own words. They point the women back to the word of God. Why? Because the word of God is authoritative and true. And in this case, they point the women back to the words of Jesus Christ. Note verse eight. They remembered his words. We'll move on from that in a second, but let's just very quickly, very quickly, and you can look these verses up when you go home. Matthew 17, the son of man, this is Jesus speaking, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. Luke nine twenty one, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and be killed and on the third day be raised. John chapter 10. This is a really powerful verse. No one takes it from me. Um, I lay down my life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Pastor Joseph talked about that on Friday. Jesus offered up his spirit. Jesus died willingly. He wasn't captured against his will. He died willingly. But look, I have authority to lay it down. And what? I have authority to take it up again. If we believe in Jesus Christ, we can have confidence that Jesus Christ is the authority. His words are authoritative. His work is authoritative. And we can trust in Jesus Christ's work on the cross. And then John chapter 2. This is the uh, the verse that the Pharisees, when they went to see Pilate, quoted. This is the, the dialogue. Destroy this temple and in three days I will rise it up. And look, note there verse 22. His disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture. You see, response to Jesus' resurrection is not pink and fluffy, happy emotionalism. Yes, there is emotion in Christianity. I showed my bit of emotion at the start. People express emotion in different ways, but there is a cognitive, a mindful response to Jesus Christ. As the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, we are to be convicted to go to the word of God and find out the answer to our sin problem. And summing up, verse nine. Then they returned for the tomb. You know, if this was a scam, they got their communication plan all along, didn't they? You know, a good PR strategy. Some of you here are probably in PR. They got it all wrong. Why? Because the, the angels picked women to give the message to, to pass on to the apostles. In that culture, the word of women was not seen as authoritative, certainly, as the word of Why did the angels not wait for the apostles to walk? No, Jesus Christ spoke to the women. Why? Because that would have been classed as an apostolic or a disciple plan. But the disciples, note their response there. They seemed to seem to them an idle tale. The Greek word there means it, it was seems a complete nonsense, something that couldn't be true, an impossibility. It's not, you know, the, the, these women said, what, we've just seen angels. And they did not believe it. But Peter, interestingly, Peter, and, in, and it's actually with John, one of the other gospel accounts says, Peter and John rose and went to the tomb and they saw what? The linen cloths by themselves. They didn't see nothing. People hadn't just come in and carted Jesus. They took the time. If they did, they took the time to unwrap all of the rather complex way in which the body would have been wrapped. They took the time to do it and then leave the cloths there. And I don't think so. The resurrection's true. So the question remains on the back of that, what is our response to this wonderful truth? What is our response? Well, we are to stand firm in the truth of the resurrection. We are to praise God for his death and his resurrection. We are to affirm obedience to Jesus Christ. If we doubt the resurrection literally, or we say, oh, it's not important, we run the risk of our faith becoming more liberal and our faith becoming distorted. Jesus Christ is trustworthy. His word is trustworthy. And I'm going to leave you with um, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. This is our response to the truth of the resurrection. Hear God's word. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? See, because we are Christians, we trust in the death of Jesus Christ for our salvation. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ points us to the new life that we have in Christ. On this earth until we die, but for eternity in the new creation. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Christ's resurrection releases us from the curse of sin and the curse of death. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ is being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, and alive to God in Jesus Christ. This Easter, let's reflect on the wondrous, atoning death of Jesus Christ for his elect people. The literal death, the literal burial, and the literal, glorious, miraculous resurrection for the dead that Jesus Christ did to free us from the curse of sin. May the Lord bless you this Easter. Almighty God, we thank you for your death on the cross. We thank you for Jesus who died to save us. We thank Jesus. Thank you for Jesus who took upon himself by his own willing sacrifice of himself to die and to free us through his death and through his resurrection from the curse of death, the curse of sin, and to allow us to be united with Jesus Christ and to be at one with Jesus Christ. Please help us this Easter. Never to forget that the resurrection is fundamental to our faith. Help us to glory in it, to live in it, and to look forward to the new heaven and the new earth where we will be with you forever because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. We thank you now as we remember your atoning work through Holy Communion that we'll be mindful of our sin and reflect on our status before you. We ask all of this. In Jesus Christ's name.